When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Timeless Podcast Company present this podcast. In immersive sound design. In this episode of Did I Ever Tell You the One About MF Doom, we visit Baseline Studios and talk with Young Guru and Super Producer Just Blaze. They tell us about front desk music, among other things. We find out if it's true that Jay-Z was looking to sign MF Doom. In talking with acclaimed producer, engineer, Young Guru, he reflects on the first time he was introduced to MF Doom, the artist, but to give us context, Guru takes us back to the Howard University days when he first met Daniel Dumoulin, back then known as Zev Love X. There were young, aspiring artists forging hip-hop DNA and creating a foundation that could only be likened to a master's degree in hip-hop. So what it was was that we were the crew that basically held down whatever hip-hop things we had to do on Howard at that time. So by me DJing for all of, I was just a well-known working DJ in DC at that time. Um, and also a kid with a dream about the same hip hop dream that everybody else has. I want my crew, we want to make records, we want to go in the studio, we want to sign a deal, we want to be famous. So Howard is special because when you go to other black universities, the frats sort of run the social life. At Howard it's not like that. So I basically DJ for all the frats and did all their parties, but we also threw our own parties and we were well known for having just different satellite houses. So my man John lived with four dudes. His house was a satellite. By satellite meaning you go in John's room, John had the original Roland rack mount uh, and an SP, right? A four track, mad records, you know what I mean? A little setup. So satellite hub, everybody come over, get drunk, get high, go upstairs, make records. Our crib was also a satellite. We got the turntables, you know what I'm saying? I got a 3000 in there. At the, well, at the time it was a 60, but then I moved up to the 3000. We, like I said, Ben would always bring the MCs that came into town, whether or not signed or not, just dope people. Two of those dope people were Ben Klingon and Doom. But back then what Doom was doing was just a foreshadowing of the artist he was evolving into in name and talent. The intricate weaving of metaphors, punchlines, and overall lyrical talent was obvious and did not go unnoticed. But these were the early days, the proving grounds, and the coming of age which would forever be etched into their lives and careers. Life at Howard University was in a sense bedrock for the foundation they were creating in life 
and in hip hop. You know, same sort of college environment. You're drinking 40s, you, you know, smoking blunts, you're writing rhymes, you're making beats, you going out and doing, you know, little college showcases, you know, when all of that was going on. You're getting in ciphers all the time on the yard, you know, and going against rival crews. He was just so good at it. He always had this inner wordplay where he could make something refer to something else, but it still made sense. So there's MCs that can have punchlines. Lil Wayne is great at punchlines, but one punchline don't go to the other punchline, right? He just jump punches, but they're incredible punchlines, right? Doom's punchlines would weave into each other and refer four lines back to something else, or the whole thing was one topic, or, you know, like, that's what was special. It, it, it was the having his own style at that point, but it was the way he would weave the rhymes together. But Young Guru learned that Doom was not only special as a lyricist and MC, but he recognized Doom's talent as a producer as well. I did not know at that point that he was producing. So that's when I first figured out, like, okay, he's messing with, like, the production because we would talk about records. And it would be like, oh, okay, as a, I, I just looked at him as a, you know what I mean? You have to understand my mentality. I'm looking at him as an ill MC. That's when I learned about, like, sort of, like, his production. At that moment, when we were at Howard, it sounded more early 90s. And, you know, the way KMD sounds and less of what would eventually become this super influential free form of production that would influence whole generations and evolve into sort of like what him and Madlib did together. So it still has the remnants of what we were doing in the 90s and pulling from cartoons and pulling from, you know, skits and pulling from speeches from, you know, the minister and pulling from all these different sources. The way he would do it was a very scientific way. You know, so it's like when I, when I listen to Doom's production, the evolving of it. it. It has this thing in it where it's still this nod to what we used to take from, but it also evolved into, it doesn't have to be so like perfect. It was just this ill production style of, I want it to be dirty. I want the loop to just go like this. I wanted to, you know, and it, and it had this certain feel to it that I think became his signature. The days at Howard University come to an end and all the graduates go their separate ways. Young Guru's career blasts off, starting with a gig with rapper Nonchalant as a DJ. But Young Guru has plans to do much more than that, which would eventually lead him to Baseline Studios and working with 50 Cent and Jay-Z. I then go on, I leave Howard, I go with Nonchalant, I become her tour DJ, 96, we go on a Fuji tour, come back, I go to engineering school, right? Long story short, engineering dream, get with Chucky Thompson, 99, I go to New York, I get with Derek Angeletti, I'm working on the Mad Rapper album, I do 50 Cent's How to Rob, I do, you know, step out on my own. So the whole thing with Jay happens in, in the 99. Baseline happens. So our everyday baseline crew, and this was weird to me because I didn't, I didn't get this until later, that a lot of the music that would come out of there was considered the hottest Jay-Z. So it's like this highest level commercial. We're selling a lot of records. Baseline becomes this iconic place. But if you were to go to the people that were everyday Baseline people, which is me, Hip Hop, Just Blaze, um, Kamel, um, Andy was another white guy, incredible, incredible assistant there. We were all super underground hip hop heads. 
all of us. So years have gone by and Young Guru is enjoying a storybook career. At this point, what does this have to do with Zev Lavex? Well, that hip-hop DNA they shared was about to be re-energized and it all starts to make sense to Guru. So we had this thing called Front Desk Music, which we had a little boombox in the reception in the front. Not the music we're working on in the back, but Front Desk Music was no bullshit gets played on, on Front Desk Music. This has to be authentic hip hop. And that, that's what front desk, the, our internal crew language. That's what front desk music is. So there's a day where Andy starts playing this tape. And I'm just like, yo, what is that? And he's like, MF Doom. And I'm like, who? And he's like, MF Doom. He's like, yo, the dude from KMD. That's Zev Love X? And I was like, this shit sound like him. It is him, but it's different. It's like, it's next. At, at no moment did I know like, okay, his production and it's just him and what, you know, I, I, I have really took it as when his brother passed away that it was like a normal hip hop group, like it's over. You know what I'm saying? Like no, no disrespect, but it was just like, that's how you took it. It was like, there can never be tribe again. You know what I'm saying? There can never be tribe again. It's one of them drunks I had to just keep playing over and over and over and over. Remember, like, like on some hip hop head shit. Like I had to memorize the rhyme because it was that good. And it was perfectly him, but evolved from what we was doing years ahead of that. Completely blown away by learning of how Zev Love X had reinvented himself, Guru had to call his friend from Howard University, Big Ben. AKA Ben Grimm, AKA Ben Klingon. And that's when I hit Ben and Ben explained the whole thing to me. And I was just like, oh, this is genius. This is genius. So I was saying all that to say like, Ben has was, was my introduction to Doom. And anytime I was around him it was because Ben brought him around to me. So happy to hear that Ben was still working with Doom as his manager, Young Guru was really looking forward to the two of them coming to kick it with him at Baseline Studios and hopefully to work together. While Young Guru knew that Doom was very careful with whom he would open up to and work with, his hope was his past with Ben and Doom at Howard would be a source of trust. Guru knew how special Doom was and was really looking forward to reconnecting. And that's how our friendship started, you know? And like being comfortable enough that he could be in baseline, we wouldn't let nobody in there so he could take the mask off. Or like, you know, like it, like sort of like those sort of things. Or just like being at the point where he had evolved. It's almost like when you hear Dilla for the first time, right? It's like, yo, this is Pete and Tribe and all but better. You know what I'm saying? And no disrespect. It's just not, I don't want to say better, it's just evolved. It's like, it's like Michael Jordan, where you look at Larry Bird and Dr. J and Magic Johnson and you put them all together and you do something extra. You see their skill set in this person's skills, but there's something extra there. That's how I felt when I was like, when I first heard the MF Doom character. And I was just like, yo, this is incredible especially at that time period. Reconnect they did as if no time had passed. It was like they were young underground hip hop heads at Howard University all over again. We were still just like going to Fat Beats, picking up whatever the latest singles were, still listening to a lot of underground radio. I'm trying to think of specific records around that time. It was, that was tough. It was like, 
a lot of underground stuff was was us hearing MCs from being out. You know, it was it was changing around that time. It was it was the bling bling back that thing up time. It was, <laughs> it was you know it was, it was really changing. Um, I remember at that moment us really recognizing Duck Down was doing a great job of sustaining through the independence. So we were just like watching Sean P kind of like move himself up a little bit for the newer generation out of the crew. It was pretty good. Just anything underground, anything that was like still beats and rhymes and not just so commercial. Because it's almost like it's almost like we worked on the commercial side. So now Doom is coming around Baseline Studios, but the mystery that surrounds and precedes him is evident. Even with those that worked at Baseline Studios who weren't on the real inside, heard a rumor that MF Doom may actually be super producer Just Blakes. There was a time period at Baseline where everybody thought that I was the, you know, like the crew at Baseline. You know what I mean? Like, you remember, you remember at that time, like, you know, Baseline's like a factory 24-7, right? You know, it's like, you got Bleak coming in at 10 o'clock to record, you got Jay coming in at two, you got Dipset coming in at five, you got Bean showing up at four in the morning, and everybody else getting in where they fit in in between. So it's, it's a constant factory. But the one thing that kept happening Dave or somebody would be playing Doom in the office, people would walk by and be like, yo, that's just? Yo, that's just? And it happened quite often to the point where people were like, yo, just is, in, just is making records at night when nobody's around and playing them, talking about he's some guy named Doom. It eventually became a, sh- for, for a while, it became like a running joke. But at first, there were a, quite a few people who thought that I was making these records and then trying to call myself Doom. Cause they, cause they were like, nah, that's MF Doom. They didn't know who MF Doom was. So they just, they just figured it was me. Cause I guess at the time, I, I eventually heard it. I don't sound, I, I don't think I sound like him, but I understand, I heard certain things in the cadence. In a little bit of the rasp, where I was like, okay, I can see why people thought that, you know. Um, but it was, it was, it was that, that was a, that was a funny period. It's the it's the genius of the mask, right? It's the genius of I just want to wear this mask, which is a heavy, heavy, heavy statement. It is the Miles Davis statement. It's turn your back to the audience, which is ultimately listen to what I'm doing. Do not look at me. What I look like does not matter. So it's that statement. So you can run with it where it's just like, okay, you wear the mask and just like pretend that you're doomed, you know what I mean, sort of thing. But it was like, I think the bigger thing was um, we were definitely, I don't know, you know, where this went in terms of, you know, you don't ask brothers over and over again, but there was definitely a thing of like just wanting to do beats with doom. So, you know, that thing I wish would have materialized into a real album, album of, of, a whole Just Blazing Doom together album. The rumor about the real identity of MF Doom wasn't the only talk. I personally had always heard back in the day that Jay-Z had interest in signing MF Doom as an artist. That is absolutely true. Jay and I bounce music off of each other, right? And especially during those times, um, you know, avid music listener. Um, there would be stuff that would be out of my sphere that Jay would play for me. And then there'd be stuff that I wanted to make sure was sort of on his radar. Like, have you heard this? You know, normal thing of being around somebody every day in the studio. So I definitely played um, Doom's music for Jay. Whether or not the signing part of it was going to go through, I have no idea. Because I can't say for sure until a whole deal went down. 
What I can say is that Jay was very aware of him and understands lyricism. When you see Jay and, you know, today goes out and um, manages a Griselda and you see him taking pictures with a Makhami and you see, you know, you can see even to this day, he still has his finger on the pulse of those real MCs, those special MCs. So, you know, that shouldn't be a surprise for people <laughs> that he would understand the complexity of what Doom was doing. You, you know what I mean? So that that part of it, I can't say all the way if the deal would have went down. You know, you, you get into legalities, points, and, you know, how much is my upfront and how Doom might not have liked it or he could have liked it or whatever. But, yes, I would... It, it, it's, it's not a far-fetched thing as to why I would play Doom's music for Jay because I just, I just wanted them to hear it and to hear, like, there's somebody out here rhyming this complex. We were in the A room, um... And I, I was just so floored by food. This is all I'm listening to right now. You have to listen to this. It's, it's normal music junkie excitement. You know, it's, it's me listening to the Britney Howard album. And I'm like, yo, to the world, you have to listen to this. This woman from Alabama shakes is this good. She went and made this album. It's incredible. That's how I was with Doom and food. I was just like, yo, y'all, he did it. He did, like, this is it. You, how did he get better? How did he improve? How did he, like, give me the same thing and not change up, but made it better? It was just that good to me. It struck me that much that I played it. I played, I mean, I was skipping certain, I didn't play the whole album. I was skipping to, like, certain songs and just sort of doing what I do, like, explaining the like oh he meant this and he was saying this and yo did you pick up on this and he's like oh this is ill so that's how the conversation with two friends listening to a hip-hop album and, and, and this normal way that you listen and look at covers and talk about it and talk about production and you know skits and what all that meant and the gods and you know what i mean like all of that it was just you know bugging out on the, the, the large square you know line of like you know do you remember that time when every I was like yo you know what they they had them papers everywhere like that was a great time <laughs> like how did they... so those sort of references were the things that we latched on to you know it's truly unfortunate that we'll never get to hear the Jay-Z MF Doom collab but one thing is for sure it would have been a perfect chapter in the book of the villain in the book of the mask MF Doom. Did I ever tell you the one about MF Doom Podcast is a timeless podcast company production. Executive produced by Chantel Barron, Michael Barron, and Eric DJ Eclipse Wynn. Co-produced and mixed by Brett Epignazer. Sound design and sound editing by Nick Digler Davila. Research director Miles J. Barron. Senior creative director Martin Orton for Poison Pen Graphics. Graphic Design Director, Shai Harari for H1 Media. Featuring Ben Klingon, Dell of the Hieroglyphics Crew, Dimbaza Dumale, Dinko D of Leaders of the New School, Graham Poopa Maxwell, Jason DeMarco, Just Blaze, Curious George, Cotty, Lionel the Vid Kid Martin, Lord Jamal, Lord Seer, Miles Brown, MF Grimm, Milo from Leaders of the New School, Onyx the Birthstone Kid of KMD, Prince Power Rule, Ralph McDaniels, Talib Kwali, Tanji Dumale, Tom Brown, Wild Child, Yasin Bey, and Young Guru. Special thanks to the city of Long Beach, Mark Healy and the Rockaway Wave, Far Rockaway Queens, New York, Brandon G, 
Tom Wheelie, Ben King, Stephen S. Sidman, and Video Music Box. Timeless Podcast Sound Design Voiceover, Tembisa Mashaka. Music cues and scoring for this podcast have been provided by Portal. That's P-R-T-L. Music comes in all vibes, so lo-fi should too. Welcome to Portal, the world's first lo-fi music in all genres for all types of music fans. Whether you love hip-hop, reggaeton, country, alt-rock, EDM, or even bassa, Portal has lo-fi vibes to match your music tastes. Find Portal on YouTube or Spotify or anywhere you listen to lo-fi. Portal, P-R-T-L, lo-fi for every vibe.